Welcome back to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts, offering a place to find sound answers to life's tough questions. Uh, don't forget to catch us Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on CRN. Our guest today, co-author Frank Joseph, who wrote the book Opening the Ark of the Covenant. Right now we're talking fascinating details of the pyramids, the Great, great Pyramids. So... Do I understand this right, Frank? Is the molecular structure of the quartz crystal, the way it naturally terminates and makes it points, is that the same degree of angle that the sides of the pyramid are? It's not incredible. So it's as though the pyramid, yes, you're absolutely correct. It's as though the pyramid angle itself reproduces this sacred geometry that grows within the clear quartz crystal. Yes. And that may explain why even... Your little pyramid that doesn't have a quartz crystal in it or anything like the Ark of the Covenant had, nonetheless, just its angle alone begins to resonate right. with some force that we don't really understand, but we can acknowledge exists. I had a lot of copper wire in specific areas in it, I'll tell you. Well, that apparently is the right thing to do. <laughs> no, You fully. mentioned uh, earlier about the urna, which is uh, a, a good point to, to bring up. This is this emerald stone that was in the eye mostly of Shiva. I mentioned Indra before. He the, was the god of uh, mm-hmm. infinite possibilities. But Shiva was the god of death, supposedly, but really of transformation. Right. And by having the golden, rather the, the, the emerald stone in his third eye, this meant that he could look beyond mere, the mere mundane world to see the, the other world, the spiritual world. Yeah. And that sort of indicates what this stone is able to do. It's able to affect spiritual transformation uh, such as, as one has never experienced before. Yes. It's interesting that the Indians referred to it as an emerald because the ancient Egyptians also referred to the emerald tablet, which is basically the same thing. And Wolfram von Eschenbach, in his story of the Holy Grail, Parsifal, refers to the stone that is the Holy Grail as an emerald. Isn't that so? Yeah, there is this concept which you find which connects cultures separated by thousands of years. Yes. You know, we have uh, numerous uh, Shiva lingams, and they are very sacred, powerful stones. We have them, and you can buy them at stores, but... Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to get one, you want it to call you because it's a very sacred thing. You don't want to just get one that's pretty, I want it. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure it's calling you because it is a sacred thing, and they really seem to help you on your destiny. They're like partners, and they seem to be blessed from Lord Shiva. Mm-hmm. So in our own little world in 2007, we seem to have a real connection with Lord Shiva and the power of that. And these lingams come from one river in the world. It's the Narmada River in India. Mm. And um, they're just very powerful. Uh, the biggest one we got, we got it and both of us just reduced down to tears. And it took two weeks for us to adjust. We were just weird, mm. way weird for two weeks while we were adjusting. And then everything got went to a higher level just from the Shiva Lingam. So, you know, that's from the same thing you're talking with, Ur, the Urna stone, I guess. The Urna, yeah. Yes. So let's go on to more of the pyramid. Uh, you, you talk about the queen's chamber, the king's chamber, the gallery that's in there. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, amazingly, the sides of the king's chambers are scorched and bowed out. Now, what on earth would do that? 
not only the the king's chamber keys is, but they're almost all of the passageways have been scorched. Uh, what's particularly remarkable is that when the archaeologists observed that the ceilings with inside the corridors and chambers in the Great Pyramid, they all were scorched, and they thought, well, that must have been made by torches that were carried by the Egyptians long ago. Yeah. But then when they did, uh, and fairly recently, within the past 15 or 20 years, they were able to do uh, internal robotic investigations of what is known as the air shafts inside the Great Pyramid. And these are, oh, they're only like about maybe four inches in diameter, and yet the inside of the uh, air shafts, so-called, are also scorched. So all indications are there was an immense blast with inside the Great Pyramid. Now, yes. what could have possibly caused such a thing? And just to cut to the chase in this, because I know we don't have much time, um, my basic belief, my not my belief, uh, my conclusion, and I firmly believe this conclusion, is that the Great Pyramid was designed and purpose-built as a machine, as a geotransducer, that its job was to transmute seismic energy, seismic violence into useful electronic energy, electrical energy. So and it harnessed to, the power of the earth? To harness the power of the earth. Edgar Casey himself had a, a really interesting reading on the Great Pyramid that perplexed, continues to perplex uh, scholars of Edgar Casey, And he, he said that the he characterized the Great Pyramid of Egypt as the building of the earth. And nobody knew what he meant by that. But after I determined, and I wasn't the only one by this, I'm not taking full credit for this by any means, but my colleagues and I determined that the Great Pyramid is this geotransducer. His characterization of the Great Pyramid as the building of the earth makes perfect sense because the Great Pyramid's single purpose, first purpose, although it had other effects, was to take seismic energy within the earth itself, telluric energy, and to transfer to to transmute, ameliorate that energy into electrical energy and electrical discharge. It is nothing more than, a, if you look at a tra of a cross-section of the Great Pyramid, it is nothing more than you can have a template of a transducer, which is a, an electronic device invented about 100 or so years ago that does just the same thing as in the needle of your record player, the old long-playing record player. Yeah where you would have a needle that would rest in the groove, and then the mechanical energy of the vibrations created in the needle would go up into a quartz crystal, a little crystal. And that crystal would do something called a piezoelectric effect. Mm -hmm. It would take the vibrational sounds, mechanical sounds, mechanical waves, and transform them into electrical impulses, and there you have your music. This is exactly what the Great Pyramid did, only it took the uh, vibrational forces of the Earth, seismic energy, yeah and was able to uh, produce this electrical discharge. One second. You're, you're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmy Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts offering a place to find sound answers to life's tough questions. Uh, don't forget to catch us Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on CRN. And also check us out at MasteringOurselves.com. Our guest today, Frank Joseph co-author of Opening the Ark of the Covenant, talking about some fascinating things. Uh, this is a fascinating hit, a spiritual history lesson of Earth. So uh, people have reported there's this bluish haze at the top of the pyramid. What, what does that mean? Well, um, when you have a transducer and you can hold them in your hand, some small ones, 
when they are being activated, when they're transforming mechanical energy into electrical energy, they produce something called a corona discharge. And this is a faint blue light that surrounds the usually the golden tip or the uh, conductive point of a transducer. And this is just a part of the process of the negative ions that are being produced when the electrical discharge is taking place. And remarkably... Uh, there have been legends which have come to be, be documented now of a goal, of a uh, blue light, a blue haze that dances around the top of the Great Pyramid, even to this day. And there was a fellow by the name of Hausman that I was able to uh, contact, and I talk about him in the book, and he saw the blue haze dancing around the top of the Great Pyramid about 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And even though the pyramid is a ruin of what it used to be, it still has some effect. This blue haze is nothing more than a corona discharge that's associated with a transducer. And when that crystal was removed long ago and the Great Pyramid could no longer function as a proper transducer, then uh, all that pressure built up inside the Great Pyramid when there was a seismic event. And instead of being vented properly and and transmuted by that crystal, uh, it exploded with inside the Great Pyramid. That's exactly what would happen with a transducer. If you remove the crystal and you subject it to a mechanical force, the uh, the uh, device will internally implode or ex- explode within, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that explains the scorch marks that are found inside the Great Pyramid. When that crystal was removed, uh, the building had been effectively sabotaged. So... Is that like in the king's chamber? They they uh, they have that box there. Is that what the crystal was in? Yes, the king's chamber. Uh, if you go there today, it is a vacant room except for what archaeologists refer to as the granite sarcophagus. It is a granite coffer, to be sure. It is not a sarcophagus. Was never used as a sarcophagus. Has no decorations of, as a sarcophagus. Is it big enough? No is it big enough to be a sarcophagus? I suppose it could be for a rather small person. It's supposed to be small, but it is not a sarcophagus. What an interesting thing is that the 100, the 99 or 100, nobody's entirely sure, it seems, pyramids in ancient Egypt, of all those 99 or 100 pyramids, not one was ever used for a burial. No burial, no original burial was ever found in any pyramid in ancient Egypt at all. Uh, the Pyramid of Dashur contained one human burial, which was uh, put in there almost a thousand years after the Pyramid of Dashur had already been made. So the pyramids must be used for something else. They are not used for temples of initiation or anything like that yeah. because they're too small. I don't mean their exteriors, but their interiors. You cannot fit. I don't think you could fit a hundred people inside the Great Pyramid at one time. Wow. Corridors are very narrow. No room for, for sarcophaguses or for processions or any of those things that the Egyptians were famous for. I got you. They are, they are devices. They are machines. Yes. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmy uh, Amber. Boy, my head's just a swirling with all this stuff. Fascinating information. You're so cute. <laughs> You're, we are your spiritual lifestyle experts offering a place to find sound answers to life's tough questions. Don't forget to catch us Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Monday too, I understand right now, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern on CRN. Our guest today, Frank Joseph, Joseph is enlightening us about the pyramids of Egypt, and he has co-written a book, Opening the Ark of the Covenant. So in Cusco, Peru, 
the ancient Inca civilization. They had the navel of the world, and they have this big area, and there's a box right in the middle of it, just like in the king's chamber. Is that the same dimensions? I've not been able to determine if it's the exact same dimensions. I don't believe that it is. But I think that what we had in Cusco, Peru, was uh, a version of this crystal. It was another crystal. I don't think it was the same one. The crystal that we're tracing in the Ark of the Covenant, yes. that extends back through ancient Egypt and before that to Atlantis. Yes. And then it goes from ancient Israel uh, into medieval Europe. The other crystals, and there are stories of, of crystals very similar to what we find in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, they, I believe, were different examples but were understood to be used in the same way. Interestingly, whenever these crystals are set up and used, whenever they're revered, the place which reveres them yes. is almost invariably referred to as the navel of the world. It's like a tag that goes along, a label that goes along. So and the been... reason why it's called the navel of the world is the navel is the symbol of, e of eternal uh, birth, rebirth, and that's that's part of the effect that you get. I don't mean to mislead our listeners by saying that the, the the crystal and these pyramids were used only for mundane purposes of transforming mechanical energy into electrical energy. There was a very important byproduct of this first primary purpose. To be sure they were made for economic reasons or geopol geopolitical reasons, to make sure you could live in an area yeah. that was earthquake-prone. But the byproduct of that was the negative ion cloud or bombardment that took place when these things were activated. And if you're standing in a negative ion bombardment, there's a part of the brain which was referred to by medical practitioners today as the God part of the brain, and that is the hippocampus. Yeah. The hippocampus, when properly activated, mostly through negative ions, produces in modern patients today, this is a clinical experience produces in people feelings of tremendous spiritual euphoria, connectedness with God, seeing angels, uh, telepathy. The entire gamut of psychic experience is apparently within every human being in the hippocampus. And by being stimulated by negative ions, you're able to experience these things. Wow. And my conclusion is that this crystal and crystals like it were engineered, certainly, for these very specific uh, mundane purposes, but they were also capable of and used to stimulate the hippocampus in the human brain, the God part of the brain, as it's referred to, so that human beings, like Solomon, went through mega-boosts of not only yeah. intellectual power, but spiritual power. All the potential that's locked up in the human mind was being un unloosed by this object, which its only capacity is, its only purpose is to take one form of energy and transform it into another. And if you can apply that to spiritual energies, the human growth potential is beyond anything that, that we can imagine in our yeah. time. So is there, there's probably evidence of the pyramids and or the crystals and or the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever they are, perhaps the area or the community thrives. They, the community becomes goes through a kind of a cultural golden age. There's also massive healing involved. So when the great crystal, which the Egyptians referred to as the firestone or the emerald tablet, that's what it was originally called, the emerald tablet, when it was brought to Egypt, 
Then, when it was installed in the Great Pyramid, it was no longer referred to as the Emerald Tablet. It was called the Firestone or the Ben-Ben Stone. Mm -hmm. The reason why it was set up there is so that it could irradiate the Egyptian population. And what happened was Egypt went through its old kingdom. It's never been as high as that for over a thousand years, well over a thousand years, like about 1,400 years Egypt became the cultural mecca of the entire world, the highest civilization of its time, still the highest civilization, uh, deeply regarded. And then after it was lost, Egypt went into a decline. The same thing happened in Israel when the Ark of the Covenant was set up, the Aaron Habarit. Uh, Israel went through its golden age, Solomon, uh, Solomon the Wise. Yeah. When they lost it, that was the end of Israel as the great cultural mecca of its yes. time. Break time. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber. We'll be right back. Hang on. <laughs> 